0: Hey everybody, welcome to Nutri-IQ Radio, where we talk about all things food, fitness, and feeling good. I'm your host, Sean Hare, and this week we've had to change the initial plan due to a few technical issues. If you tuned into last week's episode, you'll have been expecting a chat between me and Nutri-IQ founder Jim, all about the UK government's new obesity strategy, the Better Health campaign, and everything in between. We got on Zoom, ready to record, when suddenly one or maybe both of our internet connections dropped, our videos started lagging, we both started sounding like robots to each other, and we decided it was probably best not to record with robot voices. So we'll be recording that later this week, and today we've got another diet breakdown for you all about the keto diet. But before we get into that, it's time for this week's news. This week in Nutri-IQ news, we submitted the Nutri-IQ mobile app to the Google Play Store and Apple App Store. That means that in a few weeks' time, you should if everything goes smoothly, be able to download and install the app right onto your phone where you'll be able to see all your perfectly portioned recipes, plan out your weekly meals, track your progress measurements and pictures, and use our new swaps feature to totally customize your plan. In other health news, coronavirus is still a thing that's happening. So we just wanted to take a second to remind you to stay safe, follow the guidelines to protect those around you, wear a mask when you're asked to, and just look out for each other. We're all in this together, and that's the news. In this week's main segment of the show, we're breaking down the keto diet. What it is, why it works, why it gets results, and why it sometimes doesn't. And help dispel some of the myths and magical promises around it. So the best place to start is probably with an outline of what it is, and where the diet actually comes from. Keto is short for ketogenic. And though many now see it as a diet to aid weight loss, it was initially created as a diet to help control seizures in children with epilepsy. That might sound like a total curveball if you didn't know that. But I just want to point out that it's important to remember the word diet doesn't immediately mean weight loss. We often feel like it does when we say things like, I'm back on my diet. But your diet is just the way that you as an individual eat day to day. And you can make adjustments to your diet to steer you towards a particular goal. For many of us, that goal is simply weight loss. But for somebody who's celiac, their diet helps them avoid digestive issues. And as we've just learned, for children with epilepsy, a ketogenic diet can actually help control and reduce the amount of seizures they suffer. Now, the way the ketogenic diet works is this. You aim for 60-75% to of your daily calories to come from fats. 15-30% 15-30% of your daily calories to come from protein and only 5-10% to 10% of your daily calories to come from carbohydrates. If you manage to do this successfully, your body basically isn't happy with the low amount of carbohydrates it's getting. Carbohydrates break down into sugars when we digest them. More specifically, they break down into glucose. Your brain runs on glucose for energy and if there's suddenly not enough glucose going around for your brain to function properly, that's not a good situation. So your body adapts just like it always does and it adapts by producing something called ketone bodies, AKA ketones from fats and uses those for energy for your brain instead. The reason this is thought to help with epilepsy is because the ketones seem to dampen the electrical activity in the brain and because seizures are abnormal electrical discharges in the brain, that can mean a reduction in seizures. Before we go any further, I just want to point out that following a ketogenic diet is only recommended for epilepsy when other treatments have been unsuccessful. So it's a bit of a last resort anyway. Plus, the NHS website actually states that a ketogenic diet should not be undertaken without the guidance and recommendation of a trained professional. And by trained professional, they mean a registered dietitian who spent years studying and specialising not a person on Instagram or Facebook who's got a certificate in keto coaching after completing an online quiz. The reason it should only be followed under the guidance of a professional is because it is so extreme. And it's only recommended for kids because parents can control their eating, whereas as adults, we tend to find it hard to resist nice things like pizza and ice cream for the rest of our lives. Just something to bear in mind before you jump into keto if it is something you've been thinking about. Before we move on to talk about how the keto diet is used for weight loss, let's just go over a quick summary of this epilepsy business. The keto diet was originally developed as a way to treat epilepsy in children. Roughly 70% of your daily calories come from fats, roughly 20% come from protein, and less than 10% come from fats. It helps to control seizures by essentially starving the brain of energy so that the body has to find a new way to provide energy to the brain. That new way is to produce something called ketones from fats, which seem to dampen the electrical activity in the brain, therefore reducing abnormal electrical discharges, otherwise known as seizures. And just to reiterate, your body only starts creating ketones to solve the problem of your brain, your brain being starved of energy. Just bear that in mind. Now, let's find out how keto became a thing in the weight loss world. We know that the keto diet can be useful for epilepsy, so when did it start to become a thing for weight loss? Well, we don't exactly know for sure. The popularity of the diet, even for epilepsy, kind of faded out since anticonvulsant drugs started to hit the medical market in 1938. Oh yeah, I said 1938. The keto diet is a lot older than you think. It first started out in 1921 by a guy called Dr. Russell Wilder. Then in the 90s, the keto diet had something of a resurgence when in 1994, the TV show Dateline reported on the case of a two-year-old called Charlie whose seizures were out of control until he started the keto diet. Well, I say he started the keto diet. He was two. Again, his parents fed him a keto diet. After that Dateline episode, interest exploded again, so much so that Charlie's dad even directed a film in 1997 called First Do No Harm about their experience that starred Meryl Streep. Another series of events happening around the same time started a little earlier. Back in 1972, Robert Atkins, MD, published his first diet book. Yep, we're talking about the Atkins diet. We're going to do a future episode breaking down the Atkins diet itself in more detail, but for now, we're just going to talk about how it relates to the keto diet. In the first phase of Atkins, you do aim to get into ketosis to influence a, quote, happy state in which your fat is being turned off with maximum efficiency and minimum deprivation. A little later, in 1976, a keto-based book called The Last Chance Diet hit the shelves. You drink a high-fat and protein drink until you lose however much weight you're aiming for. The author, Dr. Robert Lin, made $40 million off the back of it. However, remember that to hit ketosis, less than 10% of your daily calories need to come from carbohydrates. And to put that into perspective, that's usually kept to a maximum of 50 grams of carbs a day. That doesn't leave a lot of room for things like fruits and vegetables, seeing as one banana contains around 27 grams of carbs. You know, fruits and vegetables, those things your mum always told you to eat because they're full of goodness to make you grow up big and strong. Well, turns out not eating those really do make you smaller and weaker. As with the keto diet itself, the last chance diet was only supposed to be followed with the supervision of a physician to make sure you got enough vitamins and minerals. And as with the modern keto diet, not many people did that. Without those essential vitamins and minerals, your body can't perform essential functions like sending electrical signals to your heart. The last chance diet contributed to at least 60 deaths. Over a decade later, In 1988, Optifast hit the market. Optifast was a liquid diet, but this time with adequate vitamins and minerals and even a celebrity endorsement. None other than Oprah. Needless to say, the Oprah effect was in full swing and Optifast had over 200,000 inquiries straight away. Keto was back, baby. It then actually ended up being used by bodybuilders because it was a quick way to reduce body fat for competitions. Then with the resurgence of the Atkins diet in the early 2000s, living a low carb life was back at the forefront of the weight loss world. Fast forward to 2013, when researchers at the Gladstone Institute published a study on the keto diet that the press claimed could quote, slow the aging process and may one day allow scientists to better treat or prevent age-related disease including heart disease, Alzheimer's and many forms of cancer. In 2013, Tim Ferriss also happened to publish a video about the keto diet on his blog. Tim Ferriss has over a million monthly followers looking to gain any competitive edge in life that love data and measurable success. Keto started gaining more momentum. Two years later, in 2015, Tim Ferriss released a podcast titled Dom D'Agostino on Fasting, Ketosis and the End of Cancer. A moment that Andy Dalpin, a human performance researcher at California State University, describes as the tipping point of when the diet comes into the vernacular and zeitgeist of the country. Suddenly, keto was all over the internet because keto does often get fast, dramatic initial results. It thrives in the world of social media because people love to post before and afters of what they've achieved on keto in just two weeks. But bear in mind how many pictures do you see in comparison of a keto diet being followed for over a year? One reason the keto diet is so appealing for weight loss is because of the wording of how it works. Remember that ketones are produced from fats, and this is where having distinct vocabulary becomes very important. When I talk about fat, what's the first thing you think of? The jiggly bits on your belly or the olive oil on your kitchen counter? These are two very different things. Body fat, or more specifically subcutaneous body fat, and dietary fat. But we use the same three-letter word to describe them both. Fat. And that confuses things. If you think back to episode 8, the only actual way to get results, you'll recall that our bodies have backup stores. If we need them, we'll dip into our stores of body fat for energy and lose weight. But if we can get all the energy we need from our food, then we don't need to dip into those backups. The same thing happens with converting fats into ketones. It's easier to use the fats being digested from our diet before they go into fat cells than put them into fat cells and take them out again. And remember that around 70% of your calories are coming from fats right now. So we've got a lot to work with. The ketones are produced from fats, but that doesn't mean those fats will automatically come from body fat. So then, why does weight loss happen? Well, that's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't. Studies show that when calories are accounted for, there's no discernible difference between the keto diet and a diet with a more traditional macronutrient balance. By macronutrient balance, we mean the balance of fats, proteins and carbs. In a more real-life example, say you had an identical twin. You're both exactly the same height, weight, and are just as active as each other. If you followed a keto diet at 1,500 calories and they followed a more traditional diet at 1,500 calories, you'd both see the same reduction in body fat overall. It's not the ketones that makes a difference for weight loss, it's the calorie balance. And that's why some people don't see weight loss results following a ketogenic diet because it's perfectly possible to follow a ketogenic diet and still eat 3000 calories a day. If that's the situation, you're not gonna be losing any weight anytime soon. But then, how do people get those dramatic weight loss results with keto? Two reasons. One, a ketogenic diet tends to make you reduce your calorie intake even though you're not thinking about it. And two, you're losing water at the start, not body fat. What's this about losing water? We'll get to that. Let's just finish off the calorie part first. Remember that a ketogenic diet has around 70% of your daily calories coming from fats and 20% coming from proteins. Fats and proteins are filling. They take longer to digest than carbohydrates, so they stay in your stomach for longer while they're being broken down. This makes you less likely to feel hungry throughout the day and therefore less likely to snack therefore reducing your calorie intake. Also, it's hard to eat a lot of fat and protein in one go. Think about how easily you could go through a full packet of Jaffa Cakes or a of Pringles without thinking about it, whereas that's just not happening with steaks and avocados. You don't see a lot of memes talking about how it's never just one avocado, though, is it? So again, as a result of being less likely to overeat, you're also likely to reduce your overall calorie intake. And finally on the point of overeating, if you're limiting your daily carbohydrate intake to only 50 grams and remember that one banana is already 27 grams, you're cutting out a lot of those hyper palatable, easily overeatable calorie dense foods like cakes, chocolates, sweets, crisps, biscuits, cookies, muffins and bread. So once again, if you're cutting out foods that are high in calories and easy to overeat, again, you're likely to reduce your overall calorie intake. These three things are the main reasons you're likely to lose weight on a ketogenic diet even though you're not actually thinking about calorie balance. The diet does it for you. And that's the case for every weight loss diet that gets results that we're going to break down for you in future episodes. But remember, just because the diet is likely to put you into a calorie deficit, that doesn't guarantee that it will. You can still eat and drink 3,000 keto calories a day if you really want to. What about the water then? This is where a lot of the weight loss, as opposed to body fat loss, initially comes from. Remember that we're switching from using glucose for energy to using ketones. And that our body has backups of everything. Our bodies store glucose in our muscles as glycogen for easy access. So as we restrict our carbohydrate intake and our steady supply of glucose, the glycogen in our muscles get used up. Think of glycogen as a sort of magnet for water. Every gram of glycogen you have in your body carries with it two to three grams of water. So as we use up our glycogen stores, we also flush out the water that was being held with it. You can lose up to 20 pounds in the first week on a ketogenic diet, but most of this weight often is water. Remember that when you read about the flashy two-week transformations online, your friend Becky may well have lost 20 pounds of weight in 2 weeks, but if she's aiming to lose body fat and most of that weight is actually water, she really made that much progress. So, we're almost at the end of today's diet breakdown and I want to end with a couple of quick reminders. First thing, remember that you need nutrients. And that you need to get the full range of them from your diet. That means fruits, vegetables, meat, fish, dairy, eggs and all the other wholesome stuff. If a diet asks you to cut out a whole section of those, be very careful. Next thing, you don't need to be ketogenic to lose body fat. Being in a ketogenic state makes your body and brain rely on ketones for energy instead of glucose. This can help people with epilepsy manage seizures, but it doesn't mean you'll necessarily lose weight. Next thing, you do need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. This means using up more energy than you're taking in from your food and drink each day so that your body dips into its backup energy in your fat cells. For more on how this works, go back and check out episode 8 of the podcast at Nutri-IQ.net slash podcast dash 008. I'll put the link for that in the description for you. And last thing you might be thinking to yourself or somebody might have said to you at some point, if you don't need carbohydrates, then why eat them? To which I'd say you don't need the internet either, but you still use that every day. Listen, try keto if you want to. If you're interested and want to give it a go, do it. I don't want to tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing I just want to make you aware of what's actually going on so you don't do something because you've been misled by some keto warrior on the internet or your friend Becky who swears blind this is something you need to do. If you try it, you enjoy it, it gets results and you can sustain it, that's fantastic. But if you try it and you don't like it, that's fantastic too because now you can put it away in the box of stuff that doesn't work for you and move on to finding something that does. If you find yourself missing things like pizza, pasta, cakes at birthdays and ice cream at the beach, then just stop. There are other ways to lose weight. Now, we want to hear your thoughts on keto. Is it something you tried before? How did you get on with it? Are you still following it now? Or did you find it too difficult to maintain? Oh, and did you know keto was actually created to treat seizures? send an email to sean at nutri-iq.net and use the subject line podcast to let us know your story. That's S-H-A-U-N at nutri-q.net. dot That is everything from me this week. Next week, me and Jim will be together on the show this time to talk all about tackling the obesity crisis, the better health campaign, our food environment, active transport, and more. Remember to let us know your thoughts on it all so we can drop them into the show. So thanks for tuning in to Nutri-IQ Radio this week. If you haven't already, if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic and you can even do it right in the app. And of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you want to follow us around social media, make sure you like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram at Nutri-IQ without the dash, and follow us on Twitter at NutriIQOfficial. See you next week.